holding people who weaponize terrorists to perform an insurrection accountable. My name's Nathan, your most justice host. How about that? My name's Andy, and I am a pretty pissed off host. I am absolutely completely fed up with Congress. I'm sick of, um, I've given up on expecting them to do the right thing. I have decided I am going to have to do it myself. I'm going to have to start learning how to run for office. I'm not a patriot enough to storm the Capitol myself, but you know, uh, I, <laughs> screw those people. And I'm, I'm Pat, your practically and morally responsible host. That was good. That was a good Mitch. That- Although, although Pat, I I will say your intro did not roll off the tongue like Andy's did. Uh, Right. Well, I'll have to work on that. I'm a little I'm workshopping it. So, like, we've been doing this podcast for about a year. Yeah. We've already had to cover half of the country's impeachments. It's crazy. Our first uh, (laughs) first episode, which we recorded in, like, I think we talked for, like, three and a half hours because we broke it into two episodes. Yeah. And we've decided, I think at this point, we've figured out that y'all won't listen to a second part if we record two parts. <laughs> so if we record a long... So we're just going to make episodes right. longer. Which is a shame because a lot of times I feel like some of the better stuff comes in part two. But but not this one. We are not doing longer so, on this one. Anyway. <laughs> so, all right, let's break this down. Nathan, I know that you are all about this. Can you walk us through kind of the timeline of the events leading up to... Uh, what Trump is being impeached for. Uh, so <laughs> I will try and keep it as succinct as possible. I'm just doing this off the top of my head, so feel free to jump in. In early November, uh, there was a presidential election. The president at the time, Donald J. Trump, lost by like 7 million votes. Like, it was bad. And there there was a point for about three or four days where it wasn't absolutely uh, solid who had won. And so, like, it took a while for things to came in, come in. But the good news was we knew about four days later that Joe Biden was our new president and there wasn't really anything to be said otherwise. However, President Trump and his lackeys decided to keep on telling people that their votes had been stolen for months. And they kept on trying to find different times to plan and, like, carry out a coup I guess is the best way to say it. And they found out, well, Trump decided that his last opportunity was going to be on January 6th when the Senate finally verifies the final vote tallies from the different electoral votes from the states. And that was going to be their last opportunity. So Trump spends $50 million from his campaign chest to invite people from all over the country to come to Washington, D.C., And he invites them to a Stop the Steal rally. And then he riles them up. Giuliani tells them, let's have a trial by combat. Trump uses the word peaceful once. That's great. He uses the word fight or some, like, variation on it 20 times during his speech, including telling people that they have to fight like hell, otherwise they won't have a country anymore. And then he's like, there's the Capitol over there. Go, go over there, people that I've told, told those people over there stealing the election from you. And it sounds like he's, ex- like Nathan's exaggerating here, but he's not. Like the literal quote is, we're going to march down Pennsylvania Avenue. Like he points them <laughs> right. right down he the street. He tells them that he's going to march with them, but like Trump has never walked that far in his life. <laughs> <laughs> like that was never a possibility. But the thing is, 
there there's a lot of back and forth and i think if you if if you're a republican or you're let's let's not even say republican if you are a trump supporter and you want to argue that he that he was using the word fight uh not literally that he was he was trying to tell them uh to to fight in this larger sense and that everybody else used the word fight i think that's a bad argument but i think you can make that and be honest with yourself. I think it's a stretch, but you could do that. What you can't do is ignore the fact that, at, and I'll have to double check this, but I believe the first uh, the first terrorists breached the Capitol at 12.53 p.m. And Trump told them to go home at 4.17 p.m. So it took him over three hours to tell the people that we know he was watching on TV try and kill his vice president because he told them to took him over three hours to tell them to go home. And there is no argument to be made that he is not responsible because of that. There you go. And that's where I'm at. Uh, You could also argue that Trump, uh, I, I think it's a bad argument, but you could also argue that Trump didn't think that he was in charge of that mob. What you can't argue is that, that mob thought that Trump was in charge of that mob, and he was the only one who could have stopped him. And he got into a fight with Kevin McCarthy on the phone, a screaming match, where Kevin McCarthy, and he wasn't the only one who asked. Kevin McCarthy told him, you have to stand this group down, and he refused. He flat out refused. There's also evidence out there that he held the National Guard back from being sent in, but we don't have, like, we don't have perfect proof of that yet, and so I don't think you can peg Trump with that yet. What you can peg him for is sending people to the Capitol, then those people, either by his actions or not, attacking the Capitol, and then him taking over three hours telling them to go home. There's no arguing those facts. Right. So just for brevity, I'm sure you cut this for omission just for brevity, but a couple of key points, like the election night, so like the the night that everybody voted (sighs) November 3rd, Trump was actually in the lead. And so that's why this... uh, you know, this story of the steel, like that's, that's where that came from. Except, and then also, except the, that the grievance... every pundit had been explaining to the entire country that that's exactly what to watch out for, for weeks leading up to the election. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the grievance, the grievance against Pence was specifically that Pence, like it was theorized that Prince, that Pence as vice president had some sort of power to stop the certification of the election, which is dubious at best, um, no, but, and probably wrong. doesn't exist. No, but that's that's enough to warrant, um, you know, the hangman's noose, the gallows that was constructed outside of right. the Capitol on the day of January sixth. So and, we already did a whole episode on on the events of uh, January sixth. So. I want to move forward. There is one thing I wanted to mention about the the first point that Pat made, though. The the reason why that argument is so disingenuous that Trump was in the lead on the night of is because Trump specifically told his supporters, along with Republicans, don't mail in your ballots. Go in the day of. So he knew that there were a record number of ballots that were mailed in because of the uh, because of the coronavirus and he chose to ignore that, and he chose to ignore that we knew those ballots were primarily 
uh, cast by Democrats because Republicans were told not to do it. Right. So now here we are, second impeachment. Right. Right. So um, here's one of the points that has me really fired up. And I, I, I was like screaming this at the time. I got into a big fight on in my text chain with one of, with uh, a friend of the pod actually, but um, about about the, uh, Jess um, because I was saying they need to act now. Strike while the iron is hot. File those articles of impeachment. Like once you finish your vote, Congress needs to then file the articles of impeachment and walk those right across the hallway or whatever to uh, to the Senate. Um, immediately the Senate then is required to take up those articles. And yes, Mitch McConnell could then stall if he wanted to and trying to decide, well, what are going to be the rules? There's a, he could have stalled there, but you, they needed to act right then and there. They needed to force this trial to happen as soon as possible before any Republicans could figure any way out of standing up to Trump. They waited they thought that they that was the better political move. They thought maybe they would uh, win some Senate seats or, or or something, and you know I don't know what they thought, but they needed to have acted immediately because the funny thing about it is, what did Mitch McConnell say at the time? He said, "Well, you can't you can't move too fast. You can't bring these articles over. The Senate's about to go on recess anyway, so you can't do it right now." And he now, wanted to give the trial time. Yeah. His reason for voting, and not to, you know, spoilers if you didn't know, but he voted to acquit. Um, and his, the reason he voted to acquit was because, well, he waited too long and now Trump's out of office. McConnell is a worm. He's a worm. He's a worm. Right. So, so there's no circumstance in which that, uh, you know, he could have convicted Trump because um, you know, first it was too early and then it was too late. Like there, there was no window for him to convict. Can I, can I read you guys two quotes, uh, by Mitch McConnell? Sure. Uh, first quote, January 13th. Do you want Pat to read him in the voice? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, no. Uh, uh, first, uh, quote, January 13th, 2021. I refuse to begin the impeachment trial until president Trump is out of office. February 13th, 2021. I could not convict because President Trump is already out of office. Like, no, he's a piece of shit. And, like, I liked his little speech after he voted to acquit, but it means nope, nothing. nothing. Like, I mean, the and here's the big thing. So, Andy, I kind of agree with you, but you're pretending like it would have made any difference. Like, there's never a point where the fix wasn't in. I We actually got more people... To on board to vote him as guilty than I thought we I think, ever would. I never thought we were going to get seven Republicans. I, come over. I think that you had the best chance at, at getting enough of, for a conviction while they were like, you, you, I'm, I'm not saying that it was very, that it was likely, right. but it was more likely. It was impossible, but, but it was but less say, impossible. There was, <laughs> yes. I think there's one interesting thing that Republicans did that showed it was an option that they could go ahead and still like humor their terrible, terrible base. So the Republicans did something interesting, I thought, with so Liz Cheney voted. She voted to, to impeach him. Yes. And she was she, like she was really outspoken about it. She's the third most powerful uh, 
Republican in the House. Would, yeah, for right? what that means, you know. She's she's pretty yeah, high up. But she's a Yeah, she's the third most powerful Republican in the House. But the thing is they chose to hold a vote whether to censure her or not and remove her from power. She would still have her office and everything. They didn't have the power to take that away from her. But the interesting thing that they did was they made it an anonymous vote. And she won. She was able to stay in power. And I wonder, what do votes look like from the Republican side if you make those votes anonymous? If you can tell your, you can tell your base whatever you want, like, I'm going to support the president 100%, but then you get to vote anonymously? I think that would be really interesting. They didn't do that for Marjorie Taylor Greene because they were voting whether to hold her responsible for threatening to kill several of her colleagues right. and believing in crazy racist bullshit like space lasers controlled by Jews. Yeah, she's a whole separate issue. Right, but the the reason why she's connected is they specifically chose to hold Liz Cheney's vote anonymously but hold her vote mm-hmm. open. And I wonder with the impeachment what that vote would have looked like had they uh, made it I agree. anonymous. I agree 100%. I think that so would have been so, interesting. So it's a very high bar for impeachment. It's two-thirds of the Senate. Like, right. I could have imagined well, that with conviction. their own – for conviction. Um, yeah, but it's it's sort of like designed to fail. Like it's sort of built into the process that it's – Probably not going to happen. Right, and I could have imagined that with their lives, like, very recently having been threatened, like, in materially, like, physically, there was a real threat to their life. I could have imagined that we maybe would get two-thirds of the Senate, but, like, I was kidding myself. Like, you're you're not going to get two-thirds of the Senate to no. convict Trump at no, this point. And I, I think it is remarkable, as you said, that we got seven. Uh, I So... Yeah. So let's talk about those seven. Um, so first was Mitt Romney, who has been pretty outspoken against Trump, though, most of the time. I, <laughs> I, kudos, you know, I didn't. His conscience is completely unpredictable. He's very, he's so odd. He, I, I have a love-hate relationship <laughs> with him. We could maybe do an episode about Mitt Romney sometime because he's just an interesting dude. One could even call him a <laughs> maverick. Uh, no, that was McCain. <laughs> but anyway, McCain was cool too. I mean, like that was back when Republicans were like only like kind of terrible. Move, move on. We can we can do an episode on like non Republicans. <laughs> I think we can find yeah. three. The, um. So anyway, all right. I thought Lincoln was pretty good. Uh, he was one of the good Republicans. Yeah, was upside. Uh. So so the thing with Mitt Romney. Is um, he is up for re-election in four years, twenty twenty four? He is already pretty much pissed off his entire state's worth of of Republicans, um, and he hasn't really said as much. But he is probably not going to run it again in twenty twenty four. He's hinted at it. So then there's Lisa Murkowski, Murkowski of Alaska. She is an odd one, a little bit. She's up for re-election in. 2022, which means she could potentially face quick backlash, but uh, Alaska does have a new voting system, a ranked choice voting with open primaries, so that does give her a little insulation. Oh, yeah, I'm excited. More states are doing, more states are doing that. that. We'll have to do an episode about that one sometime. 
Susan Collins is not up for re-election until 2026. That's that's another president from now. Yeah. Um, same with Ben Sass. He, um, he's up for re-election in 2026. He's in um, Nebraska, and he's uh, he then bef- before the Nebraska state GOP could censure him because they have been censuring a lot of these people who voted to convict. Um, before his state GOP party could do that, he released this video saying. And we promised to speak out when our leaders, not just Democrats, but any leader in either party, crossed the line. We pledged to put the Constitution ahead of party politics. You gave me standing ovations. My election night speech, the first time I ever ran for or got elected to anything, was a simple promise that I would always vote my conscience, even if it might be against the partisan stream. You cheered. But many of the same party officials who applauded in 14 cussed me out in 16 when I refused to vote for candidate Trump, and again when I declined to serve on his re-election committee in 19, and again when I didn't vote for him in 20. Now, many of you are hacked off that I condemned his lies that led to a riot. Let's be clear. The anger in the state party has never been about me violating principle or abandoning conservative policy. I'm one of the most conservative voters in the Senate. The anger has always been simply about me not bending the knee to one guy. But my disagreements with President Trump have never been personal. They've always been about genuine affection for the constitutional order, something every American, regardless of party, should share. You know, cool on him, I guess. Um, like, yeah. No, and he wasn't the no, only one to be censured. No, he right? was. Like, tons um, of- also, Richard Burr in North Carolina was censured, but he's retiring anyway. He's not running again. Um, Bill Cassidy in right. Louisiana was censured immediately. But he's not up for re-election until 2026. Hey, Republicans, could you tell me again how much you hate cancel culture? Like, mm-hmm. I'd love to hear right. you talk about cancel culture some more, Republicans. <laughs> um, and the, the other one is Pat Toomey in Pennsylvania, who Trump lost in Pennsylvania. And Toomey is not seeking re-election, has spoken out against Trump frequently in the last couple months. So <laughs> I think the other interesting thing, certainly not universally, but like among several people on this list that we've just read is the idea that they're they're not going to be elected again. And boy, howdy, wouldn't term limits be a good way to let people to vote their God conscience? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So so what point are we building here? It's that like Republicans aren't afraid to speak out their morals against Trump, but only if they're not being faced with primary challenges. Basically, if there's no political pressure to support Trump, then they would rather not. So then there's the interesting one, which is the reverse of what these people did, which is Mitch McConnell, Mm -hmm. who decided to vote to acquit Trump and then sass mouth him, triple snaps, snap, 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 (laughs) on the floor and pretend like he hadn't just acquitted him on, at best, what was a technicality. He's literally called him responsible for i mean pat in his very funny opening sort of quoted him he like told us said that he was there's no question none that president trump is practically and morally responsible for provoking the events of the day no question about it 
The people who stormed this building believed they were acting on the wishes and instructions of their president. And having that belief was a foreseeable consequence of the growing crescendo of false statements, conspiracy theories, and reckless hyperbole, which the defeated president kept shouting into the largest megaphone on planet Earth. Absolutely. Can we actually take that as a transition to let's I want to go over first of all I, I guess we can mention like what the prosecuting the, the prosecution's argument was but I feel like we did that was the events leading up to January 6th and the insurrection that's their argument what happened is the argument one thing I'm going to put in the doobly-doo that I think was really powerful is the prosecution put together about a 13-minute video that does a very good job of laying out exactly the timeline of the attack on the Capitol, this terrorist attack on the Capitol, because it's very hard to get your head around. It's very hard. And they did a great job of showing this is where the vice president was connected to where these terrorists were. This is where the vice president was. And, oh, my God, Eugene Goodman, who got a standing ovation uh, from the Senate during the trial because they gave him a medal, which was well-deserved, footage came out. There was security footage of Mitt Romney walking directly into this group of terrorists and Eugene turns him around and sort of like pushes him in the other direction and just straight up saves the guy's life. It, it became way more clear just how key to saving people's lives Officer Eugene Goodman was. Yeah. Mm. And you know, you guys know, I love to say fuck the police, but I mean, credit where credit is due. This man was a genuine hero that day. I keep on like... Feeling like there's going to be like a Me Too story that comes out about him or like it turns out that he likes drowned puppies or something. <laughs> but like I am willing to say on January 6th, that man was a god hero and sure. I am like dead Absolutely. proud of right. him and what he and did. And if we, if we only spend 30 seconds on this, I want to touch on Jamie Raskin, the uh, lead prosecutor's speeches on the constitutionality, the January exception and recounting, right. recounting that his daughter – did not want to revisit the Capitol. It was the day after we buried her brother, our son Tommy, the saddest day of our lives. They wanted to be together with me in the middle of a devastating week for our family. And I told them I had to go back to work because we were counting electoral votes that day on January 6th. It was our constitutional duty they said they heard that President Trump was calling on his followers to come to Washington to protest, and they asked me directly, would it be safe? Would it be safe? And I told them, of course it should be safe. This is the Capitol. And when they were finally rescued over an hour later by Capitol officers, and we were together, I hugged them, and I apologized, and I told my daughter Tabitha, I told her how sorry I was, and I promised her that it would not be like this again the next time she came back to the Capitol with me. And you know what she said? She said, Dad, I don't want to come back to the Capitol. <laughs> I'm cheering up. Um, just really powerful stuff. Um, if you get a moment, just 
just watch his arguments. Uh, they were, you know, really important. But I think we wanted to move quickly to the what the the constitutionality well, argument. So yeah, I mean, listen, the 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 prosecution is just like the events of the day, facts, reality. The defense is is basically three delusions. <laughs> I, I I'm going to be aggressive and call them delusions. So there there's three basic no, arguments. They, they did a terrible there, job. They had three arguments. So first was the First Amendment argument, which is total bullshit because, first of all, the president does not have the same legality as a regular citizen in that regard. The president is immune from most from a lot of criminal and civil charges. Well, and you're not allowed to yell fire in a crowded theater. So that's I mean, the this second, is textbook right. example of that. Right. That's the second part is, is like – even if this were just a right, like if, if Trump hadn't made a speech, but all those other people did do their speeches and, and sent the crowd down, they would not be safe under the First Amendment either because of the, that doesn't pass the Brandenburg test. Fact check, fact check, fact check. And welcome back to Fact Check. I can't believe we forgot to cover this, but let's go over the Brandenburg test real quick. It was established in Brandenburg versus Ohio to determine when inflammatory speech intending to advocate illegal action can be restricted. In this case, a KKK leader gave a speech at a rally to his fellow Klansmen, and after listing a number of derogatory racial slurs, he said that, quote, it's possible that there might have to be some revengeance taken. Cool new word there, bud. The test determined that the government may prohibit speech advocating the use of force or crime if the speech satisfies both elements of a two-part test. Part 1. The speech is, quote, directed to inciting or producing imminent lawless action. And, part 2, the speech is, quote, likely to incite or produce such action. Anyway, let's get back to the show. Fact check, fact check, fact check. Their other argument was that the trial itself was unconstitutional, which is dumb twice. Once because there's previous precedent of impeaching officials after they've left office, and two because the Senate had a vote before the trial started about whether or not having the trial would be constitutional. They voted to have it, therefore it's constitutional. Right, let's call the constitutionality argument what it is, which is an excuse. It's a way to say, like, all right, I've reviewed your evidence, I've checked all the facts, but I don't want to pay attention to them. I want to just do what I want to do, what's politically expedient to me and my party, and that's to say, you know, you can't do this under the Constitution, which is not even true on any level. No, it, it's a it's a straw man. There and like we've done it before. Like there's precedent for this in 1876. William uh, William Belknap, uh, who was the Secretary of War at the time, resigned and then was impeached because he was real bad at his job. In the wording, in the common law meaning, and in the precedent, like, it's absolutely legitimate to impeach someone mm -hmm. after their office. In fact, in the early years of our republic, almost everyone that was impeached was impeached after their term had expired. And here's the thing. Uh, in order to, like, be expedient, 
I'm going to make sure to include some information in the doobly-doo about why the arguments were bullshit from the defense, from the President Trump's lawyers. But the bottom line is all they were doing was filling time. So there, there's a couple of things. First of all, I feel kind of bad for them because Trump's entire legal team quit seven days before the trial <laughs> because he wanted them to make these bullshit arguments that his team that we saw made for him. And what they wanted to do was make legal arguments, and that's not what Trump wanted. This is literally, guys, since he became president, this is his seventh legal team that he's had because he doesn't ever pay anybody. Yeah. So they don't want to work for him. And also, he's a big criminal, so they don't want to work for him. And also, he's an unpleasant person. Just It's bad all around. But my point is, they made terrible arguments because they didn't need to make good arguments because the fix was right. in. I mean, Josh Howley was like like doing a crossword or something. Like Republicans were reading books and ignoring the trial while it there was, was going a moment on. when uh, one of the defense lawyers was was speaking, and just like the Senate just started laughing at him, and um, and yeah. and. Uh, Patrick Leahy had to like yell at the Senate to say like you'll be respectful and you won't laugh at <laughs> it, it happened so it happened I actually I watched oh the whole God. thing like I watched days of this stuff it was during the last day it was on Saturday when the house managers uh, said they were going to call witnesses to talk about this McCarthy phone call that I mentioned earlier in the episode and Mr. Vanderveen, yeah. which is the name of the lawyer, what he said was that if they're going to call witnesses, he was going to need to call a hundred witnesses. Don't bind my hands. Don't do it. If you're going to call witnesses, don't bind my hands. Because the rule is, if we get one witness, you get one witness. And what he wanted was, if they got one witness, he wanted a hundred witnesses. And he said, and if we're going to go ahead and subpoena them and bring them in, I want them to come to my offices and Philadelphia, yeah. but he mispronounced it. He like mispronounced the name of his own damn yeah. city, like a Philadelphia <laughs> or something really like weird. that. I was actually listening to that at the time. If he does, there are a lot of depositions that need to be happen. Nancy Pelosi's deposition needs to be taken. Come, uh, uh, Vice President uh, Harris's uh, deposition absolutely needs to be taken, and not by Zoom. None of these depositions should be done by Zoom. We didn't do this hearing by Zoom. These depositions should be done in person, in my office, in Philadelphia. That's where they should be done. I don't know how many civil lawyers are here, but that's the way it works, folks. When you want somebody's deposition, you send a notice of deposition, and they appear at the place where the notice says. That's civil process. I don't know why you're laughing. It is civil process. That is the way lawyers do it. We send notices of deposition. In the I, notice I, would, of I would remind everybody that we will have order yeah. in I, I don't the... Have chamber during these proceedings. Philadelphia. And so 
the idea to the audience that they found was hilarious because it was hilarious was the idea to bring these hundred people in to come to Philadelphia for a process that they were trying to finish like that day or in the next few days. The other thing that the defense kept saying over and over again that just stuck in my craw is they kept arguing that, oh, this they have no legal case. This is just political theater. This is just politics. And they and, hate the president. They love to say that they hate well, the president. Yeah. Well, they, they do. But that's because he sucks. But for good reason. Right. I hate most terrorists. <laughs> but but also also an impeachment is not a criminal lawsuit. It is not a civil lawsuit. It is a pri- po- bleh, it is a political procedure. It is a political procedure. That's what it is. Why are you, what is, how is this an argument for defense? What is wrong with these people? Anyway, I'm really riled up about all this, as you can tell. (laughs) What, what the defense was doing was they were filibustering. It didn't matter what they said. They could have pulled out a, they should have. And talked about like cream mushroom, cream mushroom soup recipes. But it didn't matter because they knew, like, so here's the other thing. Ted Cruz went on TV and said, um, what I started out saying is actually what you just said. As I said, look, you got you, you got to remember, you've already won. Hmm. There are not 67 votes to convict. There there are 55 votes to convict plus minus two. I think there's a low of 53. I think there's a high of 57. And and that's really the, the band that's in play. Um, so my opening advice was don't do anything to screw it up. And Ted Cruz and Lindsey Graham and the number of people who were jurors, like, actually went in and talked to the defense during the trial. Like, I guess it wasn't a trial, so they can do kind of whatever they want. But you can't talk out of both sides of your mouth and have the defense call it a trial and say, like, we didn't have due process, even though you did, you sons of but whatever. And then, like, let your <laughs> let the jurors come in and talk to you about what you have to say to get their vote or get other votes. It's nonsense. I believe it was uh, Richard Burr who was uh, interviewed about why he voted to convict, and he said that simply, like, one side was making coherent, fact-based arguments, and the other side was doing a terrible job. I'm paraphrasing, but, like, you know, (laughs) that, that one side was not treating it with the respect that it deserves. Yeah, absolutely. They're supposed to be neutral arbitrators of this thing. They're supposed to listen to the evidence and make a decision based on that evidence. They take an oath to do it, and they betrayed that oath twice now, within a year. I'm so pissed off. And the thing is, our um, beloved Senator Rob Portman is stepping away from the Senate at his reelection. Because he because he can't get anything done because it's too political. It's now. just so partisan. Oh my god, I hate him so much. I hate, I hate a lot of people lately, but I am so happy to see him go. Bye bye. Um, bye Felicia. I hope that the door clips you in the ankle on your way out. Um, That's not a saying. <laughs> You're looking for ass. No, I I I wanted to get him <laughs> in the back of the ankle, right into that like Achilles tendon. <laughs> um, I don't know if that's an option. That's a real bad door that you decided. It's not supposed to be a saying. It's just a wish of mine. 
<laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, because <laughs> I'm a mean person. Um, what was I saying? So, you know, I, I just, I'm looking forward to hopefully a bunch of new faces. Trump has already, so let's talk a little bit about some of the backlash from this, because we already mentioned that several of these senators have faced censures from their state's uh, party, Republican Party. Um, Trump has lashed out at Mitch McConnell just today. That was pretty, he, he did it by a, by, what was it, a written statement, like a letter that was issued, or, or did he speak? Yeah, like, it's, it's bizarre because, you know, he needed to use the same thing in the same way everybody else yeah. releases information to the press. I, He's not used to I'm it. I'm not used to it. I don't, I assume up until, you know, a few months ago, most of the time if Trump said something, I assumed it was in a tweet. Right. But my favorite quote from this is that uh, he said, Mitch is a dour, sullen, and unsmiling political hack. I guess that was maybe more Bernie Sanders <laughs> like, than Trump. I, like, when I, when I read the word dour, I was like, oh, your parents helped you out with this, didn't they? Like, <laughs> you definitely did not do your homework on your own, Trump. The, the vocab level of this letter is, like, way beyond anything that you've ever heard Trump speak. It was pretty much all complete sentences. There was almost none of it that was in all caps. I don't think it said MAGA, MAGA, MAGA once. <laughs> uh, so... One of the big takeaways for me from that statement is that Trump has basically put out the uh, the word that he's going to back any primary challenges to Mitch McConnell in 2026. <laughs> I don't think that Mitch McConnell is going to run again. He would be in his 80s. He might, but he's... Well, you know... Who knows? There's there's this politician named Joe Biden. Yeah. And also Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders and Yeah. I think Elizabeth Warren is in her seventies. Like being old is not stopping any of these people. No, but I mean he alright, but anyway, Mitch is uh um, I, I think you might be right. Who knows? He seems like he might be thinking about it anyway, based on that whole Senate thing, whatever you want to call that at the trial. Anyway, yeah, Trump is basically like declaring war on any Republicans who stand up to him. And this is the beginning of the end for the Republican Party, maybe, or like the beginning of the a split. Man. And I'm here for it. I hope that that happens. I hope that the progressives see an op wing of the Democratic Party sees an opportunity to split off. And now let me tell you, if I have the chance to go work for the MAGA party to get it up and running and make sure it becomes a viable third party, <laughs> I will do it happily. I will go ahead and put on that red hat, head on down to Florida, <laughs> live in a closet at Mar-a-Lago and get this thing going. <laughs> yeah, right. Let's do it. Right, because, I mean, there there is a question of, like, what will Trump's role be after leaving office? Like, will he be a media magnate will he be like somebody who is calling the shots behind the scenes in uh politics will he run for office again and well i can tell you there was a poll that came out today two-thirds of republicans want him to help steer the future of the republican party two-thirds right so i think it's a little naive to think like 
oh, now that this election is over, we actually have, you know, the confirmed vote and we have the president in place that Trump is just going to slither under a rock and disappear. I, I mean, I think that that's like wishful thinking. I it would not surprise me at all if uh, he might try and like overshoot his shot. But I think Don Trump Jr. could run for House and win down in Florida pretty easily if he wanted to. The same is true for Ivanka. You know, like, there there are literally people with Trump, like, in their name that could still run and push the Trump agenda. And the thing is, like, Trump is gone for now, well, but we're, we're pretending that his brand of fascism is gone. Right. Like, we, we have our Marjorie, Marjorie Taylor Greens. We have our Ted Cruz's. We have... Our Howleys. We have like yeah. we have all these different people who are still in power who are going to create more and more of a problem with that same Trump flavor to well, it. Well, think about it. so Ted Cruz. I think is is the perfect one to look at because Ted Cruz is actually very smart. Sure, but. And so he's he's watched what Trump has done. He's watched how Trump amassed that following. And he has started to emulate it. He has started to mm. form his own brand of Trumpism. And that, that haircut that he got for the impeachment trial. Oh, that trial. haircut, that haircut. Like, I think that's really going to move the needle. Ted Cruz is someone who already... <laughs> who also... Who I think can can balance that Trump's ability to you know not quite the same degree that Trump does, but his ability to whip up his base with a clever politician like a young Mitch McConnell type manipulator. I think someone like that should terrify all of us. Well, I do. I do want to say that um, you know this is going to sound weird, but. I I don't think that any of Trump's progeny have the same kind of charismatic appeal that Donald Trump mm. does. I don't think no. any of them are nearly as good orators. I don't think that they are leaders. I don't think that they have the gravitas and know what's going on. I think which Don you may think is saying a lot of complimentary things about Trump. <laughs> no. If if you look at it slant-eyed, uh, that's not necessarily the case that I'm trying to make. What I'm trying to say is that like, I don't think that just being related to Trump helps fill those shoes in the same way. Well, I think Don Jr. can get there, and I think he wants to get there. I don't think – I think it'll be a good sure. four, five, six years, but watch out for him. Yeah, I think if he can get some experience in the Senate, in the House, as a governor, could be a danger. As a governor? Yeah, sure. Uh, absolutely. Uh, but – I will also say I'm not worried about Ted Cruz. Like from a direct standpoint, I don't think Ted Cruz has a personality, and he has too much baggage. Like Trump called his wife ugly, and he was like, "Okay." <laughs> like the the thing is, like you don't get to like Trump doesn't get to like hand the reins off to somebody else in that way. It's not it's not going to work. But I'll tell you who I am scared about. Jim Jordan is exactly the right Ooh. kind of son of a. To take that over, or a Matt Gates yeah, is yeah. exactly the, the right kind of person 
to move into that slot. Matt Gates went straight to Montana after the the vote to, for impeachment to protest Liz Cheney. Absolutely. I mean, like, he was on the next freaking flight, this mother bleeper. No, I'll bet you anything he was on the phone to Trump. Trump said, you need to get down there, and then he went down there. At the same time. I'm sure, that, that, I'm sure that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Well, so we're we're quickly running out of time. Do you guys have anything you want to uh, say to put like a button on your argument, a bow to wrap up this topic? I don't like any of them. They're all very bad. We were never going to get an impeachment. We were never going to get a conviction. That was never on the table. What was on the table was these people putting in their votes on whether they were willing to support terrorism or not. And they did. 43 of them decided to support terrorism and uh, forming and initiating a coup on the country. Yeah, not just support. They they voted specifically to not reprimand terrorist and terrorism inspired by the president. Right. They decided to block any sort of censure for that. <laughs> I will say, I think Hillary... Uh, especially during the campaign, I was very in favor of her, like, not bringing stuff up. But she did tweet out basically something along the lines of they were never going to convict him because they were his co-conspirators. Hmm. I mean, of course they weren't going to convict him because they're also responsible. They helped spread the lie. Right. Every damn Republican did unless they specifically stood up and said, He's lying. These are lies. He's lying to you. Don't believe his lies. And I don't remember any of them saying No, that. I think that's that's one of the most important insights to have about this impeachment trial is that those that voted to acquit did so because they knew that, they, that if he was convicted, they would be on the hook as well. Right. So if I have one tiny little lighthouse off in the distance, a tiny glimmer of hope, I can hope that maybe some of the Republicans, some of the moderates, some of the, you know, middle conservatives who watched all of this unfold, who watched all of the hypocrisy and everything that is happening in our country and the government and the Capitol riots and the subsequent impeachment trials, maybe a few of them, some of them, can see that this is a party of hypocrisy, that this is a do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do and and that this is not a good direction for the country to be going in and have turned away from Trump. Like, if if there's five people in the whole country who have changed their mind over this thing, I guess I'll take that, you know? Yeah, well, it's been four, five years of moving goalposts. The goalpost now is you have to now, in order to continue supporting Trump, you now have to be okay with domestic terrorism. Right. So what I will say is there's an article uh, that I'll include in the doobly-doo from The Hill that confirms. So this article is from January 27th. So I'm sure in the two plus weeks since then, it is uh, there are certainly bigger numbers than this. But more than 30,000 voters have registered uh, as registered members of the Republican Party have uh, switched to either not uh, affiliate themselves with any party or become Democrats after January 6th, after the response. And I think that's positive. You know, like 
with all these people, it's going to be a death of a thousand cuts. There's not going to be one thing you can say that's going to make them realize, oh, I'm part of a cult. Right. I'll take it. Like, I'll, I'll keep my criticisms of the Democrats, too. But, you know, at the same time, like... Yeah, you know, absolutely. <laughs> I think we're seeing the GOP become the Trump party, the Democratic Party become the old Republican Party, and there's going to be a few new spaces to fill on the political landscape. I hope that it leads to some wholesale changes to how we do politics in this country. But, um, you know... But I may- think that's us running out of time. Yeah. Donnie, call me <laughs> about the MAGA party. I am in 100%, buddy. I'll wear the jacket. I will get a tattoo. Whatever you need. You already have a ring. Yeah, thank you for the gift. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. Andy bought us uh, the the worst rings ever from Wish. It's a, a tiny little ring uh, with uh, Donald Trump on it uh, that says... I hope you got yourself one instead of just for us. No, I, I did. I, I would hate to be, you know, be the only one that's enjoying this beautiful heirloom uh, <laughs> that will stay in my family for generations. I, I envision some some level of like a Captain Planet episode at some point. Absolutely, <laughs> by, by our powers combined, we'll all weep at the state of the country. <laughs> we all just cry for thirty oh, minutes. My goodness. Well, in all the right. meantime, uh, it's it's been a year, buds. Congratulations, we. Hey, Our second did. annual impeachment episode. Woo. Awesome. All right, let's do it again next year. <laughs> let's Bye. not. Please. Congrats, fellas. <laughs> anyway, uh, I need to come up with a catchphrase. Oh, I hope that we gave you something to think about this week. Love you. Bye. Bye. I don't mean to sound so depressed about it, but it is what it is. <laughs>